if there's a chief exec committing to job security for the organization, you know, that doesn't really have all that much relevance or at least resonance outside of that organization, Mm -hmm. unless you happen to know someone who works there, perhaps. But I think this is where we need action, not words, you know, which is where those examples of LVMH and Dyson and uh, and the others are, are good examples. And and where if you can't help, um, just get out of the road. And certainly with our clients, you know, they've all been impacted in different ways. Um, you know, some it's for some it's strengthened their resolve to continue doing whatever they might have been doing with us. It's become even more important now. Whereas others, you know, it's become a distraction and it's all hands on deck and uh, everything we've been doing or they've been doing with us is, is on hold. And, you know, it's, it's kind of ups and downs. Um, and, and so it is. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Squareholes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Richard Curtis, CEO of Future Brands Australia, with responsibility across Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Richard is a former Managing Director of Interbrand and Executive Director of Landor, Oxford educated and recently launching social initiative 33, providing brand and marketing advice to people who need it. As a result of Richard saving time each morning and evening, travelling between home and work as a result of COVID-19. 30-minute chats, three times a day. An insightful conversation at how brands and leaders could and should be dealing with the chaos in the world at the moment and the importance of helping or getting out of the way. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... Thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. I'm going to start off where I start all of these interviews. What were you like as a young boy, like eight-year-old roundabouts? It, it's, um, it's funny you ask that question only because as soon as I started to think about what the answer might be, I kind of realized I don't really remember. Um, <laughs> and I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing you know, whether there's something from my past that is obviously, you know, buried, I've buried Mm -hmm. deep within me. Um, And so I I thought that would probably be an unsatisfactory answer. So I went to the source and asked my mum. And so I I asked her and she reminded me of a few things, you know, so when I was eight, we just moved into a new house, um, just started a new school. Um, But, you know, beyond that, you know, I did all the things you'd expect of an eight-year-old, um, you know, growing up in middle-class suburbia in England, you know, playing sport, going to school, you know, those sorts of things. I think, um, you know, the one thing my mum didn't mention, because she's probably buried it deep within her, 
is that, you know, she was incredibly regimented when it came to school and study. Um, so my brother and I were perfectly trained kind of bots um, when it came to schoolwork. And, um, and I certainly credit her with, you know, my work ethic. Um, you know, she made us work ridiculously hard. Yeah, okay. The, the Hungarian task mistress that she was. Um, and that definitely propelled me through school and then to Oxford. And, this, you know, once I got to 18, she was like, I'm done. I've yeah. succeeded. That's it. Um, and, uh, you know, then it was all on me from there. But I don't think without the work ethic she instilled or, you know, my dad and, and her, but mostly my mum, you know, instilled in, in the pair of us, my brother and I, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today, you know, without without that. So it might not necessarily have always been as enjoyable as playing cricket in the backyard, but it was definitely formative. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And follow on question, how is your You've already kind of answered it to a certain point. How has your child informed the adult? Um, you can't really remember I, what I you mean, were like, but pardon. You can't quite remember what you were like, but but well, I mean, I mean, I can remember what I was like. I mean, I was always pretty relaxed and easygoing. You know, I love music, love making people laugh. Um, so you know that doesn't always work. People don't always find what I say <laughs> funny, but. It always amuses me. I suppose there's a, you know, there's a Dean Martin quote, um, whether it's true or not, who knows. But, you know, he said he, you know, I drink to make other people seem more interesting. You know, in some respects, I wonder if the same is true about me and jokes. You know, I, you know, try and make life funny Mm. to make it more interesting. That's right. Uh, So, you know, I I suppose I'm, I'm, you know, an optimistic as uh, someone once kind of, it's a term, it's a phrase I've never heard before, but the idea of being, until this person mentioned it, but the idea of being willfully naive, yeah. that you almost purposefully um, ignore or, you know, kind of just naive about things. And, you know, even in business, there is a negotiation tactic whereby you almost act out act things out the way that you might want them to be. So even if you're having a tough negotiation or a, a conflict with someone, you act in in the way that you would want the relationship to be, you know, sometimes they might ignore you and think you're being a bit weird, but others, you know, it's human behavior that kind of go with you. Um, and so I suppose there's that naivety to try and whether through comedy or sheer hard work, to try and, you know, make the world, you know, the, the way you might want it to be. And, you know, I suppose things that happened when I was younger, you know, when it came to going to university, I only put one university down on my list because in my mind there was no alternative. There wasn't a good second option. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, and if I hadn't have got into Oxford then I would have been forced to take a year off because yeah, okay. I had no fallback. And, you know, certainly when I came to Australia, there was only one company where I wanted to work. And it, you know, it took me six or seven months to kind of land the job and a lot of kind of patience and perseverance. But, you know, I got there eventually. So, 
I guess there's some kind of weird mix of, you know, a kid who liked to make people laugh, you know, with a kid who worked really hard to try and get what he wanted or, you know. What yeah, he no, that, that, that's really good. And there's that, that, almost that balance of um, there's the things that are serious and there's the things that are yeah are not so serious and i think that's a nice counterbalance in life even at these particular times when there is a lot that seems to be a bit crazy having it so yes it's all very serious and you can't it's not a laughing matter in many ways but if you can't um counterbalance with a bit of humor and you'll go crazy so yeah is that is that fair and a bit of a beginner's mind as well like keeping that childlike mind kind of fresh at all i think so i think so um and I think it's also just not overthinking things. So as much as it, you know, it might seem an incredibly well, I don't know, an imp- like an incredibly well thought out strategy of, you know, my journey to university, I didn't really think about it at all. It was quite naive mm. and it could have gone just horribly wrong. Um, and it's the same thing with 33, which is this, little idea, little kind of social initiative to kind of help people out at a time when people seem to need it, Um, you know, with 30-minute chats three times a day around brand and marketing, if indeed I can help anyone. I don't really think that through at all. Like it it was just an idea that was suggested to me by a mate and I threw it onto LinkedIn and, um, and, you know, here we are having yeah, this chat, right. yeah, yeah. you know, I've just got off the phone with someone in LA, um, who's got a, who's a performance coach, a leadership coach, you know, wanting to talk about his business and his brand. Um, and so it's, you know, without really thinking about it, it's introduced me to a whole new world of people and ideas and conversations, you know, which is obviously trying to be helpful and productive, but, um, also, plays to innate curiosity like it's genuinely genuinely i mean it's amazing to be able to help people you know in whatever small way i can but it's also genuinely interesting to hear people's stories Mm. you know what what they might be going through or working on and then you know to be able to be you know part of that in a very kind of altruistic it's you know way it's not it's their thing it's nothing to do with me um but you know, that willful naivety, you know, is just really not thinking about things too much, yeah. uh, which I think is quite liberating, um, but at the same time can be a little bit risky, I suppose, if you don't think things through properly. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Okay, there we go. Um, the weirdest thing you've seen over the last week, and it's a bit of a crazy time, and things seem to be changing quite quickly, in the weird can be in a good way or a not-so-good way. What, what have you seen? What have you heard? So the weirdest thing I've heard in the past week is something that has been said to my to my wife twice actually, and and two people completely different situations have said, um, "Are you taking the are you taking this seriously?" I COVID nineteen um, around isolation and whatnot, and and I find it weird that people would ask that question, and like I'm not a medic. Um, but I'm more than happy to, you know, give us all the benefit of, or give this thing the benefit of the doubt, you know, better safe than sorry. Hmm. And that might be easy for me to say, you know, in, in, you know, in the role that I am or the family situation that I have or, or whatever it might be. Um, 
in, in fact, it, you know, for people in worse situations, it might be even more important. But, um, but I, I must admit, I found that quite weird. I found it quite weird that people would want to carry on as normal when clearly things aren't normal. Um, and look, that's just my personal yeah, okay. experience, right? I'm not trying to politicize it or anything like that. and certainly not trying to ignore other people's um, perspectives or experiences or whatnot. But it, it just struck me as that question, are you taking this seriously? In a, in a way of um, questioning whether you were taking it seriously or were no, you taking genuine, it too seriously? Gen- no, a genuine question where I yeah. think it's almost like in the old days you weren't allowed to ask people who they voted for. Mm. Um, you know, that was a personal question. But, you know, certainly when I was a kid, you didn't ask people. Yeah. Or parents didn't ask people. Um, you know, it's a similar thing now. It's, you know, you don't want to, um, I don't know, impose your views on anyone else and everyone's hypersensitive right mm. now as to what the implications That's might right. be. But it has been interesting watching how different people have reacted. Um, really, essentially, we're in, in, at least in Australia, we're, say, four weeks into, four weeks since it's really kind of probably massively hit Australia or hit Australia in a, in a bigger way. Obviously, it's been hit, hit Italy and other parts of the world uh, much sooner than, than that. But it's been interesting watching how different people respond. And I think some people, I'd say in my observation on social media and the likes have responded maybe in a have taken it on they've adjusted they've realized they need to take things seriously um maybe a little bit kind of just just done it just got on with it and others you can see that i'd say that they're they're psychologically crumbling to a certain point maybe it's just been such a big hit to deal with but it's sort of shown that um yeah it's 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 tricky it's trickier for it it seems to be trickier than some than others or or maybe sort of some are finding it really tricky and they're just sort of maybe putting on a veneer of kind of um i don't know managing it or or whatever or maybe not taking it seriously as you as you were as you know yeah i mean i guess i kind of live in a couple of different circles you know one is you know a hundred kilometers away i go to work or not at the moment and that's a very kind of corporate global um circle in which i spend time and you know that is responding in one way that is you know absolutely you know this is the single most important thing we need to focus on looking after our people making sure they're you know mentally well and healthy and and all those sorts of things um and i spend you know at least one or two calls every day you know for an hour or so talking about those very things you know, not only in Australia, but around the region and, and you know, then globally. So, you know, I've got a, a global call about it tonight, for example, and, you know, then I'll have a local one um, lunchtime today. Um, and then the other circle I inhabit is, you know, where I live, which is, you know, 100 k's north by the beach, one road in, one road out. Um, and, you know, it's a very different world in which, you know, people don't necessarily have access to the same information or, you know, they get their information from multiple sources that aren't necessarily consistent with one another. Um, and then you've got the back channels with, you know, doctors or nurses who work at this hospital or that hospital. And then the kind of the social discussion around whether certain parents should or shouldn't be sending their kids to school and it, it's it's just a whole other world that's very much more social than professional. 
And so it's kind of interesting, you know, seeing the two intersect or, you know, or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, on one level, it's all very heightened. On the other level, I think there's more questions that people are asking because, you know, whereas I guess I get my information, you know, at some point all the way up from a chief medical officer somewhere who's, you know, uh, consulting to a, comp- a global company that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, others are getting their information from, you know, Johnny or Jeanette on socials around the corner uh, with, with something that they heard from a mate of a mate who mm-hmm. happened to be in a hospital waiting room. And I think, you know, that makes it difficult because we're all getting our information from different sources. And then we seem to be living in a world in which there's a bit of a leadership vacuum or at least leadership gaps. You Can, know, you explain so, that, Can you explain what your sort of sense of the leadership gaps? Well, I think, I suppose I, you can call it a vacuum or gaps depending on how temporary or permanent they might be. So, you know, you could, so two instances would be last weekend or whenever it was, might have been last weekend when, um, or maybe the weekend before, when uh, the states and the federal government seemed to be at odds with one another. Uh, Victoria shut their schools. You know, the vibe that people were getting was that New South Wales were going to do the same. And then on the Sunday, when Victoria shut, New South Wales said, we'll let you know tomorrow. Um, And it seems as though in between times, the federal government intervened and uh, managed to get New South Wales to shift their position. And consequently, on Monday morning, Schools were open, but don't send your kids there. And that conflicting messaging was very confusing for people. It was also confusing because it was broadcast. The media conference was was at a time when most people were already doing the school run. Or many of our community were already doing the school run. So it was weird on a couple of different levels. You know, the anticipation on Sunday, the difference between states, then the mixed messaging on the Monday morning at a time when people had already committed to an action for the day, taking their kids to school. Mm. So, you know, whether that's a a leadership vacuum or at least confusion, you know, you can argue the toss. And then, you know, through to the announcement by the federal government yesterday of the, the package to support workers, you know, support businesses to keep workers in their jobs, um, and that seems to have been received very positively, you know, depending on which media outlet you read. And so that's where I suppose, you know, maybe that maybe that is leadership. And I don't want to politicise this, but, you know, if, if you were to argue whether that's great leadership that the federal government has shown, at least on an economic level, well, then it's just a leadership gap yeah, that okay. it took a little bit of time to fill, whereas others might argue whether there's a leadership vacuum and certainly, you know, what, 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 I've, what I've experienced is that from the very top um, or what I've kind of heard it is that, you know, it is, it's a very difficult situation for, for you know, everyone. Um, but there's not necessarily the leadership filtering down from the very top about what exactly you know, how exactly to kind of frame up what we should be doing. Yeah, in, in a clear um, and concise message. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And so, 
you know, the trickle down effect is then, and this is hypoth- it's, it, this isn't real. I don't want to get anyone into trouble. You know, so let's say it's hypothetical for argument's sakes, but you know, then it, it, it has come down to, you know, individual schools or, uh, you know, individual businesses, you know, having to work things out for themselves with a little bit of guidance, but not necessarily like leadership or direction. And, and, you know, I, you know, I really worry about small businesses, for example, insofar as, you know, where they might be getting their information from. And I've certainly, you know, tried to help out those friends of mine, you know, who have small businesses with staff, Mm. um, insofar as the information I'm getting from the powers that be, which, you know, has been really good and clear, you know, passing that on to them, you know, so that they don't get caught, you know, in a, in a similar spot themselves in terms of, you know, the confusion and they're trying to run a business at the same time as fathom a whole world of, you know, complexities around what this might mean for their business and people from a, from a organizational point of view, let alone trying to keep the lights on commercially. Yeah. I'm interested just uh, briefly on your perspective on just different regions and how they may have been responding to it differently. And I'll kind of add just a bit onto that of um, countries like Australia, um, we're meant to question authority. Um, We don't really like rules. Um, It's kind of part of our kind of psyche, but now we need to kind of almost listen and and be well behaved to make sure we can manage uh, COVID-19. Where other countries maybe in their, their their cultural values, you listen to your leadership. You your leader says, um, "Stay at home." You'll stay at home. And and have you sort of seen any just in your conversations at more of a broader level differences in t- terms of how different countries are dealing with all of this? Yeah, I mean, look, I've you know certainly focused on life in Australia and work in Australia, but part of my role in my day job, you know, does look after the region, Asia Pac. And uh, so I've got teams of people in Shanghai and Beijing. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm used to working, I suppose, in the China market. And I think, you know, that's where there is a unique system of leadership that affords it the opportunity to um, have people go into lockdown um, with much greater certainty and ease. And it's also a system whereby... Um, not to suggest that any other country is unsupportive, um, but where, you know, there's a huge amount of support that's offered. So as I understand it, um, you know, if you were diagnosed with the infection and and kind of isolated quarantined at home, not only would you get, um, you know, the calls from the health authorities to check in, but you would always, you would also get three meals delivered to your home. Yeah, okay. Um, and those sorts of kind of social, the benefits of the, the social net that they have in place, you know, as part of the system in China. Um, and so, you know, for, for whatever criticism that, you know, some people might kind of have of that system, it does provide for all with that kind of social net. Mm. Uh, and so it is incredibly supportive. Um, and so, you know, certainly my teams 
in uh, in China, you know, have felt very supportive, not only by the business, but also by the government, um, and you know, have a huge amount of confidence in the way in which that situation's been handled. Um, and you know, some of those teams are now going, you know, back to work, um, you know, as it was, and, and the situation is, you know, normalising, if that's the right word to use. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not yeah. quite sure exactly where it's at. But, you know, people are starting to go back to work. Mm. You know, things are starting to return a little bit more towards normal. And and certainly, you know, my teams in that market are feeling, and they're all local, uh, they're all local um, people. You know, they're all feeling relatively relaxed about things. Yeah. Alert, but, you know, happy and relaxed, and, you know, they feel as though they're coming out the other side. Yeah, alert, not alarmed. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting point you're making that it's it's um it's that trust in the leadership, isn't it? Really, it's a trust that leaders are making the right decisions. Um, yeah. And it's not blind faith. It's actually I've, I guess I've got an interesting interesting kind of different cultures that might be more rules based and versus more I guess sort of freedom of um, thinking, kind of questioning the status quo and seeing how they've responded. And I guess it's the same thing in a, in a cultural sense. If you want to have it so um, in an organisational sense that your team value the, the, the culture. They, they value yeah. the, the, the leaders at the culture because like, now you need your team to, to support the leaders, to, to, to trust yeah. the leaders and making those right decisions even if they're tough. And it's the same thing when you get down to a, a broader community. You need to kind of trust that the leaders are, are well-informed and making the right decisions. And I think it's an interesting one from a Western world side over the last couple of decades, and it's not just in Australia, it's across the world, um, trusting leaders, political leaders, etc., particularly political leaders, has, has declined. Even even trust in brands, I guess, with, is, is, is declined. So now they're we're trying to come come back to kind of going up. Oh, trust us, but we haven't trusted you for <laughs> for decades. It's it's a it's a funny kind of situation, and not necessarily funny. Ha ha. Yep, and like I think that's where you know there are some companies, some brands that are responding you know that are, are doing it well and and others not so well um and you know there's different ways in which companies are responding so you know whether they're switching budgets like coke and, and taking the budget from one part of the organization and putting it into um you know covid19 response mm. whether it's theirs or others you know lvmh switching production um, to produce sanitizers, you know, Dyson switching capability. So instead of making fans and whatnot, making co-vents or kind of ventilation mm-hmm. um, products. Um, or even I was reading about how the hospitality business that's owned by the footballers, Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs, you know, mm-hmm. switching switching beds. So hotel beds now being hospital beds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in Australia, how, you know, switching employees, so Qantas employees, and I don't know how this is exactly played out, but certainly what was discussed in the media was um, Qantas employees working for Woolworths, Telstra and Rio Tinto. Yeah, okay. So, you know, to use that classic um, uh, startup word pivot, you know, there's lots of ways in which companies have pivoted in terms of their budgets and production lines and capabilities and whatnot to, you know, direct all their focus and energy. Um, And I think that's been a really positive thing in terms of people recognising, 
you know, what needs to happen. And um, less, and about, then, less about business and growth and more about, I guess, sort of um, doing all they can to work through COVID-19. Is that right? I think so. But I, I think kind of operating within their own parameters. So, um, you know, it's almost an exercise in innovation. Um, if you're looking to do any kind of NPD, any kind of new product innovation, you know, you'll look at what assets you currently have you know, whether it's intellectual property. So we've got this brand and it could stretch into these other markets. You know, it, it, we use it to clean floors. Could we use it to clean bathrooms mm. under the same brand? Or, you know, it might be functionality or capability. So, and, you know, it is obviously well kind of, kind of well-meaning and well-intended, but it is also commercially oriented or commercially appropriate in terms of, you know, what, what have we got what asset do we have that we can use in a different way, in a different context to generate a positive outcome? Um, and obviously people, companies are doing that in a way that is, um, you know, for, for good. Um, and so I think that is, you know, that's all, you know, very positive. And then again, you know, in Australia, a couple of examples that have really struck me. Um, one is the Ooh Media, the out-of-home media company. Um, who've repurposed a lot of their outdoor advertising to spread positive messages around, you know, just buy as much as you need, um, yeah, okay. you know, spreading kindness and whatnot. And in fact, a friend of mine, a chap called Harley, who works for an ad agency, um, you know, he's been berating the fact um, that, uh, you know, so much outdoor media was booked you know, weeks, months ago for events that are no longer happening. And why can't we, you know, repurpose all of that media space because it's now completely irrelevant, you know, for social good. And I think, you know, Ooh Media is a good example of exactly how they've done that, you know, albeit I, am, you know, I think they came to it themselves. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way in terms of, you know, putting something positive out there into the world. And then, you know, and that's obviously leveraging their brand. Mm. And then the other one that I think has done a particularly good job is Optus. So, you know, Optus's tagline has always been yes. Well, not always, but for the longest time it's been yes. Um, and so they've just pushed out a communication where I think it's in newspapers. You can um, essentially uh, kind of fill in the gaps, fill in the blanks, um, as and, and uh, around what you can do to help, and then pass it to your neighbour. Yeah. Um, okay. So you might be, you know, here to help, uh, kind of get the get the supermarket get, get get the shopping from the supermarket, or here to help, you know, fix something that might be broken and and no, they can't get a trader to come around or or whatever it might be. Um, but I thought that was a really good example of I suppose making it you know facilitating like literally making it easy people to say yes to one another and people to help one another um and you know i you know there'll no doubt be cynics out there who are like well they're just trying to push their brand um but i i think it's more than that i think it's you know people using their you know what it is that they believe in in this case it just happens to be a brand or a company um to you know help other people and i think we just we need more of that irrespective of how anyone might feel about their motivations, which I do think are positive. 
I think we need more of that, you know, which is again, you know, why I did 33. Um, I didn't necessarily think about it, but it was, you know, in a world in which my wife constantly berates me for not being useful because I can't <laughs> fix this, that or the other. Um, you know, it, this, this was finally a, like a, a light at the end of the tunnel in which I could po- quite possibly be useful to someone or other. Um, and I think that's, you know, a very human condition, you know, the notion that you want to help other people. Um, and it, you know, I think it's even more keenly felt at times like this. So I'm not surprised that those organizations are doing those things. Um, you know, because it's, it, it kind of brings us together as people and it's the right thing to do. And, you know, in some respects, you know, that's how we are engineered. Um, Some some of the, some of the um, observations people have been making is that particularly a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, there was just a massive smash of COVID-19 emails and correspondence going out. And and by and large, I I guess they were they were, they were valuable, but by and large they were kind of similar messages, different tone. Uh, there was a joke going around about going, "Well, haven't heard from you for three or four years," and suddenly there's an email saying you care about us, and and, and um, here's our COVID nineteen response. Um, and then there's sort of this caution with marketers saying, "Well, how do we market? Maybe we we can't market." Well, I guess there's the Coca Cola example of pulling their marketing spend and putting it into. Uh, COVID-19 efforts but then there's others maybe just a little bit really nervous about doing anything that might make them look like they're doing the wrong thing um, that, yeah. to, to push sales or whatever it might be what's your sort of take on sort of how marketers should be responding at this particular time yeah it is tricky there's no doubt about that um, from a strategic perspective you know there's probably people scratching their heads all over the place from a common sense perspective, I think it's it's a lot simpler than that, and I don't think it's quite so kind of gut wrenching. Uh, and that is, well, if you can help, help, and by help I mean do something, not just words of support. And if you can't help, then just get out of the way so others can, and and stop taking up the space. Mm. And so I think that's where. Um, you know, some of those messages, if they're nothing more than that, and certainly a lot of them are internally oriented messages that are of no relevance to anyone who doesn't work to that business. So, you know, if there's a chief exec committing to job security for the organization, you know, that doesn't really have all that much relevance or at least resonance outside of that organization. Mm -hmm unless you happen to know someone who works there, perhaps. But I think this is where we need action, not words, you know, which is where those examples of LVMH and Dyson and, uh, and the others are, are good examples. And, and where if you can't help, um, just get out of the road. And certainly with our clients, you know, they've all been impacted in different ways. Um, you know, some it's, for some it's strengthened their resolve to continue doing whatever they might have been doing with us. It's become even more important now, whereas others, you know, it's become a distraction and it's all hands on deck and uh, everything we've been doing or they've been doing with us is, is on hold. And, you know, it's, it's kind of ups and downs 
um, and and so it is. That's perfect. Depending fine. on organisation, you find depending yeah. on the brand and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. Um, but in all of those, you know, cases, you know, we've we've made a point of of talking to our clients about being supportive, and made a point of saying that, you know, that support might be nothing more than just knowing we're here you know, thinking of them and if there's something we can do, then great. And if there's nothing, then, you know, we'll just take a big step back mm. and, you know, uh, kind of wish them all the best and, you know, just kind of check in as, as, as things evolve, really. Mm. So I think it's, I think it has to be action oriented. And if you can't actually do something, um, then just take a big old step back. Yeah, that time for sensitivity. Then I'll build on a point that you made earlier about how... Um, your childhood informed the adult in that balance of serious versus humour. Is is this a time when humour can be injected into the serious? I think so. Um, that said, I've only heard one COVID-19 joke so far. Yeah. Um, I won't repeat it, but it was quite funny. Yeah. Let's say um, like there's, I, I saw an ad yesterday come out. I think it was... I think it was Furphy, uh, the beer coming out with a little bit, not, not necessarily humorous, but saying we can, there's a good time to um, have a Furphy. You can't have your friends over at home. I think it was sort of the general context, but but playing with a little bit. Do you have a sort of, yep. not necessarily that campaign, but just that idea of, yes, it's serious, but how do we find that fine line between being really, really serious about it and yep. maybe just finding a bit of counterbalance humor? Yeah, look, I think, um, I think humor's definitely got a place. I think the thing that often gets lost in the mix is is the fact that we are such emotional creatures, such emotional beings, and as such, we all possess the full range of emotions. And so I don't think it's one thing or another. You know, I don't think it's binary, you know, happiness or sadness. I think it's, you know, as part of any human connection, um, it could be relief, joy, laughter, sadness, distraught. It could be any number of these things. And it's really around res- understanding that, you know, we're going to have an emotional response and, and how do you match that or, mm-hmm. or sync with that or, you know, provide a counterpoint to that. So, you know, whatever it is, you know, it may be human, it may be something else, but it's definitely emotional. And so I think that's where, you know, examples like the Opsis example I mentioned earlier, here to help, you know, or indeed the Furphy ad, not that I've seen it as yet, you know, but all of these things are emotional responses. Mm. And I think, um, you know, so long as they're kind of action-oriented, you know, they they um, make you feel something in a way that makes you do something um, or, or they do something, you know, with a certain calibre of emotion well, then I think it's helpful and productive and positive. Um, but, yeah, getting the tone right, you know, is is a tricky thing um, because obviously not everyone's going to be feeling the same thing, the same feeling, the same emotion at the same time. Um, and, and so, you know, that can be a challenge because you just don't know the position in which people might be in when they receive the message. So certainly... You know, when we've been communicating with those of our clients who work in travel, um, it's a very different tone, um, you know, just given how that industry has been decimated. Um, it's a very different tone than if you were 
if we're talking to one of our clients in technology um, where they feel more enabled to you know actively do something um, and, and there's a growth opportunity there in terms of the opportunity to help more people versus the healthcare sector you know where some of our clients are, are genuinely feeling overwhelmed and it is literally all hands on deck mm-hmm. i don't care what your business card says we're now all doing this one thing um you know a little bit like you know just kind of everyone's now switched into you know just the covid-19 response which you know is the totally entirely appropriate thing to do but you know they're just three examples of how certainly we've been trying to gauge our approach or response to you know our own clients in those three different sectors and so you know understanding how the message is going to be received um is obviously important mm, okay how are you, how are you taking this in terms of um on a, i guess a um a spectrum of is it a is it a world changing event that that we'll we'll talk about it being uh, the world pre and post covid-19 is it a is it a drama that will kind of go back to old norms pretty quickly? Is there sort of any, it's probably hard to say, I guess we're just going, part of the reason for doing these interviews is trying to make a bit of sense through it through the process. But what, what's your sort of, what's your thinking on? Is it, is it a sort of a, a, a burning deck for change, a line in the sand, or is it sort of really just a, a moment and we'll get back to norm? I think it, it will be a significant change. You know, there will be, you know, a cohort of students, for example, who did their HSCs or A-levels or whatever examination it might be in 2020, um, who never got to do that examination. Um, and, you know, forever, when they're applying for jobs, you know, there'll be the COVID-19 year hmm. where teachers essentially had to make some big assumptions around what their performance was, is, might have been. And so, you know, and, and, and then those individuals entering university and whatnot. So I think it will be a line in the sand, you know, in some of those very functional ways. Um, and obviously it's going to impact millions of people, you know, insofar as their loved ones and perhaps losing them and, and not being able to say goodbye in the ways in which they might have hoped, which, you know, would leave an indelible mark on anyone. And, and that's just beyond horrible Mm -hmm. and upsetting um you know through to people who've you know lose their jobs or it signals some kind of a career change or business transition you know i think it it will be well the the, you know certainly the feeling i get is that it will be something quite significant but I'm, i'm i'm also reminded of something that was shared with me um over the past few months in working with uh, a particular individual, I'm not sure if I can name this individual, but it's a very, very, very well-known, like ridiculously well-known individual mm. um, who has had some very public, very personal uh, challenges with um, a kind of very difficult illness. Uh, and that individual um, said to me that on diagnosis, a friend said to her, a Buddhist friend of hers, um, congratulations, now you'll grow. And I have heard of late of a notion, you know, rather than post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth, 
um, this one individual who was talking about it on a podcast um, and this idea that through adversity you grow mm-hmm. um, and being the optimist, being willfully naive, if you like, I would like to think, or at least I choose to believe that there will be positive growth as a consequence, not to suggest for a moment that it won't be difficult and challenging and saddening and, you know, less than positive in all manner of ways. But I choose to believe that, you know, there will be positivity and productivity and growth um, through adversity. And one way or another, there will be positives that come out of this. I don't suggest there won't be negatives too, but there will be positives. And if we can hold on to those, then we can change our world for the better and, and take advantage of this as an opportunity, albeit have a big dose of resilience in order to do just that. But, you know, we have no other choice. That's right. So, yeah. And you'd, um, ne- you'd, never wi- you'd never wish it to occur, like the same thing with the bushfires. You'd never no, wish yeah. the bushfires to occur, but the bushfires likely change some of the thinking at the time around climate change or around sort of how do we protect that. So we, we lost, for many people, lost that. Just going to the beach for the summer holidays was, was not, yep. not allowed. They were sent home. So that changed that thinking without... I guess I kind of look a little bit over the last decade and I mean it's with, with a de- degree of kind of, I guess, jest, but there was a decade of, of complacency to a certain point where we probably got into, um, we, were, we were trying, we were sort of moving some things forward, but I guess this sort of maybe makes us kind of reflect on what our values are as a society, whether is, is global always right? Should we be focused more on locals? Um, is growth always right? Should we be focused more on sustainability of businesses and the environment and even bringing health in now? I don't even think we were necessarily thinking that much as a community about the, the importance of health. Now now moving forward, we'll certainly be thinking about uh, the, the threat of a virus or even just remaining healthy. So I think it's it's quite fascinating, even coming back to things like family spending time with each other at home or like that little i was on the um in the car yesterday and they're talking about um their homes become like a baker's delight because they're doing so much baking every day so all these things you're going goodness me that's just um funny i got i got home i i went out for a bit last night and, and got home and and i was just thinking we had we've got little desks everywhere because our kids are uh, schooling from home at the moment and we've got my wife working from home we've got every little spot's got a little desk that we can kind of hot desk on so it's yep. the idea of having a hub has has moved on for the moment but people are hot desking at home aren't they really it's yeah i think so and you know again not uh you know this is my experience and and others are, are not necessarily you know having it or they're having a tougher right but i get to have dinner with my family every mm-hmm. night which I haven't had dinner every night in a row with my family. The five of us sat down around the dinner table, like ever, you know, with the amount of travel I do for work. Um, I think the, you know, globalization you mentioned just then, I I do think this will have an impact on globalization and how some of those global systems work. And I expect there will be a level of fragmentation um, as we think more regionally or locally, um, I think that will be a, a kind of a macro impact. And and the one that I really, really, really do hope plays out is, you know, we've, we've been living in this world where I think at times we feel more selfish 
than we do social. And, you know, it's people don't really want to ask for help, um, you know, because others might not respond with mm-hmm. a yes. Um, or they might feel a degree of shame, you know, or put upon by the world that they ought to have figured out themselves. And certainly one lesson that I really, really do hope we all learn out of this, and I've certainly, you know, become more comfortable with, is asking for help. Um, because there are so many other people out there that can help you, you know, and, and being kind of less myopic, less siloed, less selfish and, and more supportive, um, I think could be a very positive outcome out of all of this. Um, you know, as we, I suppose, reconsider some of those stretch social structures that might have been eroded by you know, digital communication, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ironic, I know, because in some respects, you know, digital communication is actually now keeping us more social, you know, Mm. by, you know, doing things over video or whatnot. But I think, you know, without, you know, sounding contradictory in that respect, I think, you know, if we can come out of this with a greater willingness and um, awareness of the ways in which we can help one another at whatever level that might be, you know, that's one of those positive outcomes that, you know, I certainly hope as a consequence of this. Yeah. Coming back to, to brands, that terms like, I don't know, brand trust or brand love or, or brand authenticity, like what, what do you, do you see brands focus changing moving forward are you kind of I, I guess at the moment it's kind of hard i'm assuming the conversations you're having with clients as you said before are, are quite diverse but do you do you get a sense that there might be kind of like a change in tone of how brands talk about themselves or i don't i on it that i honestly don't know mm. i personally struggle with the idea of things like brand love mm. um i i think that that is uh, an unrealistic emotion to feel towards a financial services institution or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I know that there's lots of people smarter than me that talk, that have talked about, you know, brand love and whatnot, you know, lots of research companies that would put a lot of stock and faith into it quite possibly. Um, but so I can only wonder um, that there is some kind of rebalance in terms of, you know, the genuine caliber of emotion that we might feel towards a brand or a business. Um, But, you know, that said, it might swing the other way, you know, that if your favorite brand has just switched production from perfume to sanitizer to help save humankind, you know, it might make you feel even an even greater emotion Mm. and even more kind of heightened emotion, um, you know, towards that, towards that company. So, you know, it's, um, it's difficult to know, um, but I do think it, it places much more of an onus on companies to be authentic <clears throat> and action-oriented um, as opposed to just put words around things. Mm. So, and, and certainly, you know, with technology the way that it is, there's a much greater focus on utility um, than ever before insofar as you know, how you might actually use brands as opposed to just hear from them. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it may well be that that's an unintended consequence yeah. insofar as the brands in our lives becoming much more useful than they've ever been, um, even if the 
emotional caliber um you know varies somewhat for uh, as a consequence of COVID 19. Hmm. i guess the inter- one of the interesting observations is that i'm having a conversation with a, a colleague and they were trying to you know, influence some key decision makers and the decision makers were being quite resistant to the old ways and i said well this is a time where the old rules are off to a certain extent. This is this is a this is a new time, new rules. Brands can brands can play with stretch. Brands can play with sort of a different thing. We've got a thing we're playing with as a business that we kind of thought would seem six months ago would have seemed like what are you doing? It confuses what your brand's about. Okay, we well, let's give it a crack because now that people are probably open to something a little bit different to what they might have been. So I think that's maybe a freedom to play to a certain, play in a respectful way. Is that is that fair? Maybe I guess as as things roll out, but but play with it um, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely true. I hadn't necessarily thought about like, thought about it like that, but I, I, I'd say you're right. You know, and it reminds me of um, in organisational change. Um, as much as it sounds like very strange corporate language, you kind of unfreeze and freeze behaviours, um, and you know, to kind of build on that thought, you know, maybe there's a an opportunity or just a reality that this will unfreeze certain behaviours and then there's this window of opportunity when those behaviours are unfrozen, mm-hmm. um, where there is this liquidity of ideas before the window then shuts and new behaviours yeah, get formed exactly right. and refrozen. And I hadn't necessarily thought about it like that, but I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this window of opportunity where, you know, for want of a better phrase, anything goes. Um, and you can have a crack because you know, it can't get any worse. Um, you know, obviously you need to have positive intentions and so forth. But I think a good example of that, you know, out of nowhere, out of the blue kind of thinking, albeit from a slightly different perspective, is just House Party. You know, this app that has just come out of nowhere to be the number one downloaded app on iOS, iOS stores. Yeah, okay. And I think Australia, Canada and the UK, I think I read yesterday um and it's funny like my wife has been on house party over the weekend um so and i'd never heard of it and then monday morning i get an email from one of the newsletters to which i subscribe that says zoom is dead um house party is you know the thing so what's house party i I can kind of guess what it might be well house party is is a video app um whereby you know, you're in a house essentially, um, and people roll up, and you can let them in and have a house party. Yeah, wow. So whereas Zoom and other video apps are kind of invite only, or they kind of you know you arrange at a certain point in time to come together to talk about a certain mm-hmm. thing, house parties more like the drop in. You know, people just roll up, um, and so. Um, and so it's it's quite different in the way the functionality works. But I couldn't help but smile um, when you know my wife had been on it, not all weekend, but you know had a few <laughs> kind of house party house parties or whatever with her friends. Um, and then it rolls into my, you know, that's very much personal life, social life. And then Monday morning it rolled into my, you know, professional life as being the thing I should have been doing all along. Yeah, okay. So. Um, uh- I'm yeah, conscious so of your time, things, yeah. Yeah, so there'll be things like that that happen, um, you know, and it may well be that, you know, with remote working, you know, you can see how 
that idea of house party could evolve into office party. And, you know, if we're all remote working in the future, you know, rather than it being prearranged times at which we video, you know, it's just a, it's an always on video where people, you know, pop in and out. And one of the ta- challenges I have with work at the minute is like everything is a video. Like even a two minute chat has to be a video because mm-hmm. that's the, the, the kind of the corporate convention right now. And so I spend all day long and I'm not the only one I know all day long on videos. Um, and so it may well be that that's a, you know, a, a kind of a, albeit it comes from the consumer world, so to speak, you know, a better way for corporates to think about how they engage with their people. Um, so, you know, unintended consequences of innovations, you know, born of social change. Um, you know, there could be a whole load of things that change um, mm. over the coming weeks and months. That's good. Um, young Suggestions for young people moving forward. So that could be school-aged, could be a, bit, a little bit older, could be young at heart. What, what, what's your suggestion? How should they be taking all of this? Yeah, maybe I'm too strategic about these things. Um, but I... You know, I kind of go back to my eight-year-old self and what I might have told him, um, you know, given the times in which we live. Um, and, you know, it goes back to that that notion that if you work hard, it will be worth it. Um, you know, it will generate some kind of an outcome, some kind of a return. So stick with it, whether it's education, study, hobby, you know, whatever it might be. But at the same time, you know, while it would have been kind of validate, kind of a good validation to know that, I think it would have also been good to know that, you know, if you break the rules a little bit more, that's probably okay too. Um, and, you know, I think I, I, I probably only started breaking the rules once I got to university. Um, but I think, you know, that, that, you know, it's it's the the hard work ethic with the the fun or the comedy. Mm. You know, following the rules, but at the same time as as breaking them. I think those sorts of perspectives, you know, are more important now than ever. So, you know, it is. You know, it, 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 I suppose I would always advocate for a good work ethic, mm. you know, even, even at these times. So, even yeah, at, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, to a fault, quite possibly. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, people around me who could say I work too hard. And, and you know, I tend to agree. Um, but I think, you know, what I would have loved to have known back then is that, you know, if, the bre- if you break the rules, it'll, it'll probably still be okay and you'll probably learn something that you weren't expecting along the way. That's great. Any um, final bit of advice or sort of the best way to find you, Richard, or...? I think the best way to find me, I mean, is I'm always happy to help people now more than ever. So 33 um, is the little social initiative that I seem to have stumbled upon. Yeah. Um, so that's 33, the number three, dot com dot au. So I'm always happy to help people. Um, so look at the website, book a time, we can have a chat. Um, otherwise, I'm always on LinkedIn um, posting here and there. Uh, and, um, yeah, always happy to meet new people, chat, uh, you know, much like this podcast this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks. Have a nice day, Richard. All the best. Yep. You too. Have a nice day. 